microphone on. There we go. How's everyone today? Awesome. Glad to have you here. Glad to be able to continue our Bible study on the book of Ecclesiastes. Just in case I forget, at the end of Bible study today, uh, we are taking a one-week break next Sunday. Next Sunday, we have a presentation uh, in store for you from the Central Africa Medical Mission. Um, They are observing their 60th anniversary in a worship service on Saturday, and then uh, dinner here uh, on Saturday night, and then they've offered to have two of their leaders um, take our Bible class hour and present on the cool ministry that we've been blessed to be able to do there in Central Africa for 60 years. So since they're in town for that, uh, and we thought we would give you that opportunity. So that'll be October 10th, one week from today. Uh, we'll do the same Bible study hour, 9 and 10, 15. Um, and then we'll get back into Ecclesiastes then on the 17th. So I'll try to remind you of that um, at the tail end of class. But um, while it's on my mind here, I thought it might be worth bringing up. Today we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and 6, so if you don't have your Bibles open to that, this would be a great time to do that. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 8 is where we will begin. How much time should money get? That is the theme Um, of our lesson today. So get a chance to talk about, we've been looking at time, recognizing our time is in God's hands um, and looking at the different ways that God gives us to use time and and the teacher, Solomon's perspective on time and and worldly things, things that, that are here on earth under the sun. Last lesson, last unit, we got a chance to see a little bit of, uh, of Solomon bringing things to a spiritual. Uh, we had to kind of look at, the fir- at, at his encouragements through the lens of things that are physical when they don't have a connection to spiritual things. That's when he says they're meaningless. Uh, we did have one unit in there where he did jump into some spiritual things, but it, uh, now here we're back to meaningless, talking about the meaninglessness of riches. So couple of softball catechism questions just to get the discussion started. Um, list some reasons that money is a gift from God and what are some ways that this gift can be misused. Take two minutes at your table, um, see if you can answer those two questions, um, and then we'll use your answers as uh, the jumping off point to begin our discussion today.
All right, let's get started. Who'd like to share some of their thoughts or some thoughts that uh, they got from a discussion at their table? List some reasons why money is a gift from God. Josh. Okay, it's something that comes down from God. He gives us um, usually not just money falling from heaven, but usually skills um, and abilities to be able to hold down employment. Uh, remember that on Monday morning, that your job is a gift from God, right? Okay. Joanne, please. Yeah, subsistence living is a little bit more challenging uh, these days, especially in uh, downtown Milwaukee. We do see bunnies come by every once in a while, but um, might be hard to, to catch them. Yeah, so money is uh, a gift that God gives us for survival because we can use it to purchase the things that we need, like clothing and food, right? Trish? We can bless other people through money. That's a great answer. Um, that I can uh, provide for those that God has put in my life through money. Um, whether that's those that I've been called to directly support, like my children. Um, I'm a blessing for my children when I have money that can pay for a mortgage and can pay for them to go to school and can pay uh, for them to have clothing and to eat. Uh, but also gifts of generosity given to those around me that are in need. Um, I can be a blessing to them as God uh, richly blesses me. Okay. Okay. Gospel ministry can take place through through money, um, and and in fact, that's a lot of times where you know we pray for world missions, and but not many in this room are actually gonna learn a foreign language and fly to a foreign country to actually do frontline foreign mission work. Uh, but we can give generous offerings, we can support those causes, and we can watch the influence of the gospel grow. Um, in our first section, we're going to uh, have this opportunity to talk about uh, passing money along after we're gone. Um, and that's another place where uh, gospel ministry is something that especially comes to my mind. Um, I've probably shared this with you, but it, this is just mind-boggling to me how cool this is. That when I uh, do my estate planning and I remember uh, the causes of the gospel in my will, um, I literally am from heaven supporting the work of other people on earth joining me in heaven. How cool is that? Uh, there's not many things you can do to impact earth once you're gone, but that's one. You do some planning, estate planning, and, and you can make it easier for heaven's uh, streets to be more filled. Um, that, that to me is just a really cool thing. So we do, we'll get a chance to talk about some estate planning um, as it comes up here in the text. Uh, if I could just summarize a lot of the answers that I'm hearing here. And this is something that helps me, and as I do teaching on money, I think it becomes a helpful little statement that money is a tool that God gives us, right? It's a tool by which we can accomplish things, by which we can carry out the vocations that God has given us that we can use to support ourselves and others. But it's not a goal. If money becomes the goal, in life, now we're getting into ways that gift can be misused. If money becomes a goal, what does that look like and how does that become a bad thing? When we cease to think about money as a tool and start treating it like it's a goal. David. 
Okay. Thank you, David. Well said. God gives us uh, money as he gives us time. Um, sometimes time is the way when we talk about doing um, a job when we're employed, spending time doing that work, spending, using the gifts that God gives us is the way that we receive that income um, so that we can do all of the things that we've talked about, be a blessing to others and be able to provide for our own needs. Okay. What about when that gets flipped around and money becomes the goal? How does that lead to an abuse or a misuse of the gift of money that God has given us? Ian. Okay, when money becomes a goal, it's really hard to be content, right? Because I can always, I get this much, but now I can get more. I, I, get the, I can purchase this thing for me, but then what's the next thing that I want? Um, and it's a goal that's, all, that's never really attained, right? Very well said. Okay, other ways that the gift of money can be misused? Okay, when we waste money and then uh, the, the byproduct of that then is not being able to carry out our vocation, not being able to support um, those that God has called on us to do, to support. Uh, so wasting money or spending frivolously. Nancy? Okay, ha having... Uh, not having a good budget and not recognizing um, what are things that I can spend my money on um, and then spending it on things that we can't. Gambling would be a good example. Um, okay. Jean. Okay. It's hard to have right priorities if money's a goal, right? Because if money's the goal, then that means I'm pouring my effort and energy into money, right? That, that's, that's what it's all about. That becomes, when it becomes a goal, now almost just naturally or, or um, as a result of that misuse, now it becomes that priority. And the other things sort of take a back seat to, um, I'm going to try to get money at all costs. I'm going to try to get as much of it as I can because that's why I'm here. That's the goal, right? Um, yeah, obviously that's a misuse um, when the, the pursuit of money turns into a hindrance uh, to, of my living my life for, for Christ. Um, then clearly that's a, a case of misguided priorities. Okay, Joanne? Yeah. <laughs> and now when we remember the context and we've got Solomon um, who had all of the wealth that the world could offer um, and now we hear him speaking in a way that says meaningless is, are the riches. Um, you know, this might be, you, you might expect this to be the, the words of someone who didn't have any money, right? Well, ah. Money's not a big deal. It's not that important. See, look at me. I can live without it. No, we got the opposite here. Solomon, who had it all, is saying it's not really all it's cracked up to be. Uh, really, at its root, um, riches are meaningless. And, and we'll let him uh, defend that statement as we get into this section. We'll read verses 8 through 12 of chapter 5. Do riches really make you rich? If you see the poor oppressed in a dis district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things. For one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are and over them both are others higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. Whoever loves money never has enough. 
Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. Okay. What is the point of Solomon's words about the oppression of the poor? Is he excusing such behavior? Don't be surprised at these things he says when justice and rights are denied. Linda. Yeah, I think so. He's saying this is kind of the way the world works. Um, he's not saying that he's glad that the world works this way or deal with it, this is the way it is. Um, he's making an observation, right? This is, um, the book of Proverbs is filled with statements like this, um, where it's just, he's just, this is the way the world is. Um, don't be surprised to see this because this is how life under the sun truly is. Okay? So is he excusing that behavior? No, not at all. Um, just making the observation that when worldly dynamics are in play, which they are in every situation, this is often the way, uh, this hierarchy, often the way that it, it gets set up. Okay, one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others higher still. Have you observed this passage playing out in your life? No? Trish? There's a pecking order, right? Your boss has a boss, and that boss has a boss, and um, it all kind of trickles down. Uh, he makes the statement, even the king, even the top gets get some of the field, get some of the crops from several lines down. That's just the way that it works um, in the corporate world. And, and there's always this, this striving for advancement. There's always this striving for moving, moving higher. Um, you can see some of this in, maybe in government. There's local government, which then has to bow at times to state government, which then has to interact with federal government. Um, and, and there's just always this, this layer and recognizing the fact that um, none of that happens independent from the other. You, you can't just take one segment out and just say we're going to be this segment over here. It always plays in and always has that, um, that hierarchy or that structure involved. Another proverb here that Solomon uh, is just presenting, this is the way the world works. Whoever loves money never has enough. Ian made a statement like that before we even opened the book. Um, and he was very right. What's the difference between this description and the person who has a godly perspective on money? Verses 10 and 11. John. Okay, this is a little bit of what we were talking about before, right? Money, a tool, money as a tool is a godly perspective. Money as a goal is a human, uh, worldly perspective, right? There is a hand over here, Linda. Okay, 
Yeah, you caught uh, a key word in there, loves money. Whoever loves money, that word exposes the attitude of the person's heart, right? Um, a Christian can like money, right? This is a good thing because it's, because it's the tool that God gives me, and I know that if I didn't have it, um, things would be difficult. So I, can, I have to be a good steward of the resources that God has given me so that I can carry out the tasks that he's called on me to do, um, so that I can do fun things like estate planning and um, like being generous and supporting those around me. I want to take care of what God has given me. Uh, but whoever loves money now is taking that into a different perspective, right? Now that is someone who's treating money like it's a goal. Um, that is someone who's going to dog-eat-dog and do whatever they can to get as much money um, as they possibly can. So I think that's key to understanding these couple of verses. Um, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. It becomes meaningless because that's the way that things are under the sun. It becomes meaningless because that's that worldly way of just pursuing wealth. Um, It's empty, it's vain, it's hollow, it's fleeting. Remember all of the definitions that we put on, on that word meaningless. Tricia, you have something to add? Your hand was up before. Did I steal your answer? Okay. All right. Um, makes me think of a passage from 1 Timothy that ended up being kind of small on the, on the screen. Sorry. But, uh, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves, that got cut off, with many griefs, is how that passage ends. Um, So it's important to recognize that it's the love of money that is a root of all kinds of evil, of the love of money. Money is not the cause of all evil. Money isn't the root of evil. Money is a great gift that God gives us. It's the love of money that becomes the root of all kinds of evil. It's that warped perspective. It's that uh, treating it as a goal instead of a tool. Uh, It's when becoming wealthy becomes the most important thing in your life. Um, That's the snare and trap that's... um, the thing that could eventually even jeopardize a person's faith when they get so wrapped up into the worldly pursuit of wealth that they, they fail to recognize the importance of, of a spiritual life and a relationship with God. So, I would think that Timothy, as these words are being written, is recalling in his mind what Solomon has to say about wealth. Please. It's a good cause, though. Grace Place Coffee. So. Try having that discussion with a, a younger child, and you'll hear things like video games are, are a need, and right, uh, a 10-speed bike is a need. Um, because, yeah, that's the culture that we live in, where that, that perspective is so warped um, that it's, that's a hard thing to end up teaching. I think it is important to recognize that when God has blessed me, it's not sinful or wrong or something I should feel guilty about uh, when I spend money on myself. It's not sinful or wrong to have nice clothes or to drive a nice car, um, assuming that God has given me the means to do those things, right? Um, and so if I can put a $5 coffee once a week into my budget and I can still carry out those tasks um, that God has called on me, I, I, that's, 
I'm not going to call that sinful or wrong. You can be a good steward and still enjoy a cup of coffee um, on a Sunday morning. Um, so, but it's, it's when we, we say, you know what? If I just cut out that offering portion of the budget, then I could have coffee every day. Um, or, or then I can drive the Lamborghini. Or then, then that's when you'd have to see, now am I squandering opportunities to do something meaningful with the dollars that God has given me for the sake of... Um, just niceties or comfort, uh, that comforts that I'm giving myself. So a, a lot of it has to do with the attitude in your heart. There's no set answer like, here's the case study and here, this is the magic number of uh, what an income looks like before you can spend anything on yourself and then here's what spending too much looks like and make sure you fall in that magic window. God doesn't give us those things, but he tells us that... Um, we should have a, a cheerful attitude. He tells us that in our hearts we should uh, be loving of one another and seek to help those around us. Um, we could always feel guilty that every time I spend a dime on myself that could have gone in the offering plate or that could have done something else, but God doesn't call on me to, be, to feel guilty about those things. Um, he asks me to have a balanced budget, to, have, uh, to live within my means, to carry out the take advantage of the opportunities he gives me um, and, and to seek to live a Christian life in the way that I allocate my, my resources. So, and, and I think that all plays into this concept of the love of money um, versus uh, recognizing what money is and, and how God um, asks me to use it. Very good. What's the point of the comparison in verse 12? Oh, we missed one. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. What does this verse mean, and why is um, this of little benefit to the owner of these goods? What does it mean that as goods increase, so do those who consume them? Sarah? Take a stab? Take a stab? Good. Okay. I think there's a measure of that. There's this emptiness that, um, that maybe needs to be filled. Okay, yeah, so I get, I get something, but then I consume it right away, and then now there's a hole, and now I need more. Okay, I think that's part of this too. Yep. Dave? As an economic statement, I would say it's as new goods are created, then consumption, like say smartphones, you know, how many smartphones were there 30 years ago? You know, but they were created now, everybody's got to have them. Now everyone has to have them, yeah. All right, so goods are made and then consumed. Okay. Yeah, and guess what's going to happen if you have 10 cars? You're going to end up with nine friends who need to borrow cars, right? That's just the way that works. Uh, when you have things, now people want access to those things, right? If you live this lavish lifestyle and um, maybe it is within your means, you just are making public that you have lots of resources, People are going to come and want to borrow those resources or they're going to um, come to dinner and then, oops, I forgot my wallet, but you can pay, right? Um, that, it, it, as goods increase, there's going to be these, these groupies, these hangers-on who are going to try to um, spend those resources for you, going to try to help you consume those goods. Um, in addition to the consumption that you'll do on your own, um, you'll have plenty of people that are lining up to help you consume your goods. Please. Yeah, they, now I'm, I'm related and you owe me a portion of that, right? Um, people come up with excuses and reasons why what you've earned uh, 
they deserve. Yeah, look at many professional athletes and they've got their groupies and, and people that follow them around and before you know it, um, the money's gone. Um, as goods are there, they don't just sit there. <laughs> They're going to be consumed by someone. Why is this of little benefit to the owner of those goods? Yeah. Right. I've got to make sure that these people, these hangers-on are now satisfied. I've got to um, continue to toil so that those that are around me are having a good time because I owe that to, they think I owe that to them and I kind of find some joy in providing that. Um, even the king lacks contentment um, as he tries to allocate wealth in a way that uh, is pleasing. Uh, I think Solomon's statement here, all you could, the only good that it brings is that you can look at him. I've got all this stuff, and the only good that it really brings is I get to look at the stuff. Um, but it really doesn't. The pursuit of that wealth doesn't bring me peace in any way. That's verse 12. Sleep of the laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. So I think that ties this together. Um, the, the peace that we that a person can have as a laborer as an employer, an employee, excuse me. Um, I do what my boss has asked me to do. I close my eyes, I put my head on the pillow uh, with the peace of knowing that I've worked well uh, for the day. I, I can have a good night's sleep. Um, the one that's at the top, the CEO, who's got to crunch numbers and got to <clears throat> make a bunch of decisions and, and, and has to do all means necessary to get um, more money for the company, they don't have nearly the amount of peace as the laborer does, right? Um, so it's true with those that have godly contentment um, versus those who are constantly in a quest for more. Any questions on that section? I think it would also be like, uh, you know, if, if you never had any great wealth, you have nothing to lose, whereas if you were, you know, if you, if you had this poor and then rich, then you would be afraid of Okay, the stakes are higher. Um, if you've got a lot, there's a lot to lose. Um, <clears throat> yeah? You've got a big retirement account, the stock market crashes, then you worry about what you lost, but you didn't have much set aside to begin with. What does it matter if the stock market crashes? Sure. Contentment with what God, and, and I'm not going to spend my time being upset about what I haven't had, but I'm going to just rejoice in what God has provided for me. Um, plays into, that's the godly contentment, right? That plays into that piece. Um, when I don't have God in the picture, when we're talking about things that are under the sun, um, this all becomes this meaninglessness is what Solomon tells us it is. Okay. Some grievous evils under the sun, 13 through 17. I've seen a grievous evil under the sun. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners or wealth lost through some misfortune so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This too is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain? Since they toil for the wind... All their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. Why is wealth hoarded or wealth lost to such a grievous evil? Okay, if someone gives a big gift and it gets squandered, um, that can be an insult to the giver and just a waste of someone's generosity. Good. Trish? Yeah, I think it's 
okay? So the person that lives their life towards the pursuit of wealth and then loses it, that's like double whammy, right? That's really bad because not only did they not really accomplish anything with it, then they can't even pass it along to bless someone else. They just spent their whole life after something that makes no impact, the, the breath, right? It spent their whole life looking for wealth and then it got hoarded with nothing to show for it or it, uh, it was destroyed, uh, it was wealth lost, um, no ability even to impact the next generation. Okay, everyone comes naked from their mother's womb. What is this verse teaching? Sarah. You start at nothing and you end at nothing. Um, what you do with the middle is, is what's important and what the attitude is, is important. He's talking about under the sun. So the person who never gets beyond the realm of the earthly things, um, Starts at nothing, ends at nothing, um, and it's a whole lot of nothingness in the middle too, right? Um, a whole life with no impact. Think back to um, le- last week's, um, there, there was the section where he talked about the next generation won't even remember those who have gone. Um, I hear some of that um, coming out in these words here. Maybe these words sound a little bit familiar to you. Job uh, uses some similar ones. This is right at the end of Job chapter one. He just gets the final report that not only has he lost all his property and all his servants and all his animals, now even his children are gone. Um, At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. What um, does... Job add that Solomon doesn't have in, in our section from Ecclesiastes. Solomon says, naked, you are born and you'll die with nothing too. Job says that, but then adds adds the, the statement of contentment at the end, right? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Um, Job speaks these words in contentment that, well, he had given me some things and he chose to take them away. Um, I didn't come into the world with any of it. I can't take any of it with me, so I can just praise the Lord. I can praise the Lord that his will is being played out in my life. Um, Solomon is talking about attitudes under the sun Um, Job is talking about a a spiritual attitude. Okay. But there is some good. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 18 through 20. I'm going to ask you to put these words in your own, put these verses in your own words. So have that in mind as, as I read. This is what I have observed to be good that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. Okay, what's Solomon talking about there? Put those words into your own words. John. It's okay to spend a little money on yourself and enjoy it. Okay. God gives you, one of the reasons God gives you money is that you can spend it on yourself, that you can find joy and happiness in, in some of the world's pleasures. Treasure in your hands and not your heart is a Luther quote and a good one, very poignant. Um, God gives you treasures and, and allows you to do something with it, but uh, when, it becomes, when it's in your heart, when it becomes the goal, um, then you've got a problem. What else is the blessing of contentment? 
that not many in the world have. They don't stand here in the present and look back and, and ponder and reflect on the past, wondering what might have been or, or how life would be different if I was blessed in different ways. No, when God gives us contentment and, and gives us some joys uh, in the resources that he's blessed us with, um, that contentment can have this impact going backwards too, that I, I don't have to longingly um, look at the days of old or, or don't have to feel like those were a waste too or, or it could have been better had I just had this or that or the other thing. Um, he gives me gladness in the here and now um, and, and an attitude that has a connection to him. Okay. Next section is 6 verses 1 through 6. I have seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on mankind. God gives some people wealth, possessions, and honor so that they lack nothing their hearts desire. But God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them, and strangers enjoy them instead. This is meaningless, a grievous evil. A man may have a hundred children and live many years, yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive a proper burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. It comes without meaning, it departs in darkness, and in darkness its name is shrouded. Though it never saw the sun or knew anything, it has more rest than does that man, even if he lives a thousand years twice over, but fails to enjoy his prosperity. Do not all go to the same place? So Solomon tells us that this weighs heavily on mankind. This made me think of Marty McFly. That was one of his favorite words. This is heavy. Okay. This is heavy though, right? Um, <laughs> why, why is this heavy? What does he mean by um, God gives some people wealth and possessions and honor, but God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them and strangers enjoy them instead? I think there's two different ways you could look at this verse. To answer the question, why does God grant some people or withhold from some people the ability to enjoy their wealth? I think for some, it might be, a, for a Christian, it could be a time of trial or testing, right? Um, that, it, that if someone has been monetarily blessed, um, God might prevent them from enjoying some of those joys as a way to keep that person close, close to God. So it might be a, a test or, or, or something that God is, is doing along those lines. It could also be um, the judgment that God has on an unbeliever, uh, that they have this money and this wealth, but they can't find satisfaction in it. Or, or maybe not even judgment, but just the natural consequence of a life lived for money instead of for God. That it just, that's just the way it is. That they don't have this ability to enjoy it, at least not in a real or consequential way. And then someone else ends up enjoying it, whether it's squandered and then someone else becomes the owner of that, that property, or um, you live your whole life and die and then someone else inherits um, that, that money. We won't spend a lot of time on this, but I've got four passages here of places where the Lord takes from some and gives to others. Um, the rich fool, at the end of the parable of the rich fool, he's going to build these barns and put all his new grain in it, and God says, you fool, you're going to, or you fool, you're going to die tonight, and then ask the question, and then who will enjoy the fruits of your field? Um, not him. We just read the passage from Job. Um, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Um, we know his intentions there with Job. Parable of the talents, or in NIV 11, it's the parable of the gold bags. Um, God takes from the one who just buried the gold bag, who wasn't faithful, and gives to the one who had the ten. Um, the parable there is talking about faithfulness. God is going to reward faithfulness, and he'll give to those who have been given um, He'll, he'll give even more. And then Ecclesiastes 2, verse 26, we had that a couple of weeks ago. Um, 
God takes from the sinner and gives to the one who, who pleases him. So this is a bit of a recurring theme in scripture that the Lord takes from some and gives, gives to others, always for his purpose or reason. Um, we got to move quickly. The stillborn picture is kind of a disturbing picture, but he's talking about how meaningless life is if, if there's no ability to enjoy that wealth. The big word is if, in verse 3, at least as I read it. Um, yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. Um, if God doesn't allow uh, that life to have that meaning, um, then it would be better to just meet a quick death and have rest rather than to, to waffle and waver for a hundred years um, and then only then have that rest. Don't we all go to the same place? Might strike you as a little awkward because obviously there's a judgment and there's heaven and hell, but here it's talking about death, right? Um, all mankind ends up in the same place. They end up in death. Um, that's what he's talking about there. And then a few uh, verses, we won't read them. Uh, but how do you prevent your life from being filled with few and meaningless days? Um, to me, this is the whole point of the book so far. This, these are good summary words um, for the whole book that, that we've read so far. Keeping a connection to the spiritual things, not living life just for this life, not um, living only in this realm of, of things under the sun. Because everything under the sun is meaningless unless it's got a connection to Christ. Unless it, it has a spiritual connection and, and we see it as a blessing that can draw us closer to him um, and can take us beyond this realm and into the world to come. So, having contentment, having something that has a connection to God and keeping a godly focus on everything. That's what uh, we need to keep life from being just filled with few and meaningless days. All right, sorry about sprinting at the end. Any questions on this section of Ecclesiastes? All right, let's sing our closing hymn. What is the world to me with all its vaunted pleasure when you and you alone Lord Jesus, are my treasure, you only, dearest Lord, my soul's delight. You are my peace, my rest. What is the world to me? The world seeks after wealth. And all that money offers Yet never is content Though gold should fill its coffers I have a higher good Content with it My Jesus is my wealth What is the world to me? What is the world to me? My Jesus is my treasure. Health, my wealth, my friend, my love, my pleasure, my joy, my crown, my all, my bliss eternally. Once more than I declare, what is the world to me? All right, remember next week is the Central Africa Medical Mission. Uh, that's October 10th, and then we'll see you again on the 17th. It's high time for mind time, chapter 7 and 8, verse 1. Thanks for studying with us today. God be with you till we meet again.